Pouring across the screen from the tumultuous pages of the most powerful bestseller of our time, brimming over with the juices of rough and tumble life, comes a galaxy for greatness as two-time Academy Award-winning actors Sean Windsor and four-time Academy Award-winning director Mark Fellower create the most unforgettable character in screen history. M.L. Elric. This is the whole rousing story of the man, his times, and his people. You asked to ride your truck right out of my face. It's gone. What are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Come on. That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You are qualified, Emil. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now? Hey, kids. It's your old pal, ML Eric. I'm sorry we're getting a little late start today. Sean was waxing philosophic about some restaurant he used to work at, I guess. <laughs> They're tearing it down because some people got sick from some Gordon Food Service stuff he made for them. So, you know, it was a pretty fascinating story. If you're having trouble uh, sleeping, uh, hey, you might hey. want to check it out in the free press. I, I bet, man. It was, uh, it was a kind of a um, recap of Ann Arbor's finest establishments because Sean just wrote a big article about Angelo's, which is going away. It was a so, journalistic so equivalent of melatonin, but we still made sure. Have well, them if on it was East Lansing, you would have kept uh, talking about it for another hour. Well, that reminds me. Uh, uh, no, Fiddler, it doesn't oh, remind no. you of anything. Fiddler's no. on the Grand has been closed since December. Great restaurant. Uh, we can talk about that we'll another see if time. That, we'll see if that story leads the the paper like Angelo's did. Oh, the what bravado! You, you, yeah, he sold two subscriptions to Angelo and his brother Angelo Jr. Kind of a weird family. Well, Sean looks pissed. It's an iconic. Oh, no, no, not at all, not at all. And it had another picture. This is why it's worth subscribing. People are like, "What was that picture of Sean when he was young and beautiful?" They will pay to see that. It's sort of like when you go to Barnum and that, Bailey. You know what Mark said? It was uh, a fetching, and I was thinking the same thing of him, except <laughs> that his golf shirt that's buttoned all the way up the top. I want you to oh, unbutton it a little bit. There's I want to see some of that chest there. hair. <laughs> Yeah, I was fetching when I saw it. I wanted to give you a biscuit. But anyways, that's not why we're here today. We're here because we have a lot to talk about. We have a special guest, one of the uh, most connected cats in the Detroit entertainment scene, and nationally for that matter, Howard Hertz, who is the attorney to the stars. He's considering representing us, but he said, I am the attorney to the stars. Don't say us, say you. (laughs) I think he wants to make money, too. You know, Sean, in, in, in our little universe, you may be Pluto, not quite a planet, but we want you to feel like you're one of the planets. No, you I- don't need to say R. You can keep saying cats, though. Go back to that lingo. So Sean's in a hurry. Um, you wouldn't know that by his digressions, but we are pleased to have Howard here. Some of his clients who you may have heard of, uh, when I say may have heard of, I'm, I'm tongue-in-cheek. A uh, little guy from the east side named Marshall Mathers. Um, some other guys from the east side, the Romantics. You may know George Clinton from Parliament Funkadelic. Is that right, Sean? Did I get that right? You did. Okay. I knew if I didn't, you'd be all over me. Uh, Marilyn Manson, Jack White, uh, Rodriguez, searching for Sugar Man, who I think was found uh, on the east side. Wasn't he somewhere in Indian Village or somewhere? Is that right, Howard? Wayne State. Wayne State area. Yeah. So he was, he was more Midtown. Uh, Marcus Belgrave, Elmore Leonard, Insane Clown Posse, and he's going to be talking to us about... His storied career, which oddly enough began as a public defender. So defending the defenseless to defending, well, I guess the prominent and everything in between. Actually, I I majored in psychology in undergrad. To prepare for this podcast. Then 
then went to the public defender office for a few years where I handled murder, armed robbery, rape cases. And then I went into entertainment law, so it was a natural progression. Yeah, so this is, this is all part of the continuum. He's going back to people who need some psychological help and may be criminally inclined, but there's a small grain of talent in there. Of course, I'm referring to Mark here. So Howard's going to tell us a little bit about what? that. Right after I give a shameless plug for our generous sponsors, David Hall and Hall Financial, who can help you make your dreams come true with real estate and housing and all that other good stuff. And another guy who can help you steer these, uh, these rocky shoals financially, that's, that's Luke Nowacki and Pinnacle Wealth Strategies. And, of course, if you love live music, there's the Kaju Cafe, where I'm sure some of your clients have. I know Jack White's been feather bowling there, so I'm sure you have a lot of other people who have passed through the Kaju as they, uh, as they ramp up their summer entertainment schedule. And, of course, kitchens open late every night, so it's the greatest spot to go on the east side. If you're looking for a good time and good food, we'll be telling you more about their lineup after we, uh, after we talk to Howard, who's been patiently waiting for Sean to finish talking. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, you had a question, I think. Well, so. I, was, I was just going to say, because you go from, uh, Howard, you go from criminal uh, law, which is, can be, I would think, quite depressing, murder, crime, to something a lot of people love, music and entertainment. You, you, how do you make that jump? And was that a conscious thing where it's like, oh, God, I don't want to deal with this horrible part of the law. I'd rather do something that I enjoy. Well, what happened was um, I started at the juvenile defender office, oh, representing God. kids who were in trouble, uh, doing murder jury trials with kids being accused of murder, uh, representing kids who were being abused and neglected by their parents. And my wife, who was a teacher, transferred from one school district to another school district and on her first day at her new school, she became immediate friends with another woman teacher at that school. And they hit it off. They're still, you know, best of friends. And that woman, her husband was a singer-songwriter who had been offered a music publishing contract. So, and he wanted cheap represent representation? No, he, oh, okay. he, 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 he was ready to sign. And his wife said, what do you mean you're going to sign? You told me yesterday you have no idea what the contract says. He said, yeah, but I give up. I'm, I'm just going to sign it. And she said, well, what about that book that you were reading? It was this big, thick, you know, four-inch thick book. What did it say to do? And he said, it said to get an entertainment lawyer. And I don't even know a lawyer, let alone an entertainment lawyer. And she said, oh, my new friend Wendy I've been telling you about. Her husband's a lawyer. Let's call him. Wow. So that's how I got introduced to it. He said, can you read this very confidently? I said, yes, I'm pretty good at reading. <laughs> he said, do you understand it? And I said, yeah, I understand it, but... And he said, okay, you're way ahead of me already. And I said, yeah, but I don't know what the choices are. I don't know what the industry standards are in the music business. And he said, well, here's the book. Read these chapters and you'll figure it out. And I did. Oh, wow. And I ended up uh, negotiating with the publisher who, as time went on and I decided this is what I want to do, uh, he eventually became a client of mine. One thing leads to another, and, and actually it was through that initial negotiation that I ended up working with Eminem. Really? Was the first deal a good deal, or did you save your client from signing away their soul? 
saved him from signing away his soul. <laughs> but you still it became friends deal. with the guy oh, no, who wanted was... to sign him away, sign away his soul. That's right. <laughs> no, I saved him from that. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I became uh, friends, and then it was through that initial uh, that publisher who then became a uh, recording studio owner, a manager, and and other things. A guy named Joel Martin, who many people in town know. Uh, Joel then introduced me to uh, George Clinton's executive producer, who I represented in dealings with George. He also introduced me to the Romantics, who I represented in some disputes they were having. Uh, so I went from being a public defender to jumping into national, international uh, artists. And when eventually I ended up representing George in his deal with Prince, uh, in around 87 when he ended up on Prince's label. Now, George is a, um, he's an interesting character, right? I, I mean, he's, he, A, he has this public persona, but he him himself is just kind of an interesting guy. How is it to manage, you know, you hear about managers working with their clients and they kind of almost, I guess, you know, do whatever they say. But as a lawyer, you got to say, no, this is what we're doing. Do, did you ever have trouble with George or any other client in kind of getting them to do what you thought was the right thing? Well, not so much with George. With George, uh, the his executive producer and George ended up having a falling out, I don't know, about six or seven years after I started working with both of them. So I didn't represent either one of them, and then they ended up in litigation, and it was, it was terrible. But uh, there are often times when I have to say to a client, no, I think this is what you should do. But I, I have a good rapport with my clients, and I think for the most part they take my advice. Well, I would think you would not be um, working with Eminem for as long as you have if uh, you didn't get along with him. Right. Well, actually, I'm not his entertainment lawyer. Yeah. Um, because I represented, again, from the same Joel Martin, who was the very first publisher, he ended up managing uh, the Bass Brothers, Marky and Jeff Bass. And they hired me to set up their production company and their publishing company and sign artists to them that they wanted to then produce and take on to success. And uh, one of the artists that we initially signed in 1995 was Marshall B. Mathers III. And uh, so I was, you know, on the other side of those negotiations, so I didn't really uh, represent him in his entertainment matters, but I did uh, negotiate along with his manager the uh, record deal with Interscope and Dr. Dre, and then did the publishing deal with what was then called Famous Music, which ended up getting bought out by, I think it's uh, BMG or one of the other big uh, companies. But, you know, just again, it was just one thing leading to another, leading to another. But I've represented, uh, I started representing Marshall individually when he got in trouble uh, over guns in mm -hmm. 2000, 2001, that time period. Uh, my partner Wally P and I. Uh, represented him in the criminal case, and then we also represented Marilyn Manson when he got in trouble on a criminal uh, case in town, and then we I represented one, Jack yeah. White when he got in trouble in a criminal case in town. So one thing leads to another. So, Howard, when you get this envelope and it says, we got this rapper 
named Marshall B. Mathers. Are you like, uh, is he the rapper? Is he the rapper's accountant? Who is Marshall B. Mathers the third? I mean, mm-hmm. where are we going with this? What's Well, when, when I was getting the contracts back from various artists that we were trying to sign, I would look and make sure they were dated and they were signed. Because that's, you know, yeah. you have to have that Important. in order to have a binding contract. And then normally I would stick it in a, a vanilla uh, envelope and, and put it in a, my credenza behind me thinking I'm likely never going to hear from this person again. When I saw Marshall B. Mathers third as the name that it cited, I said, well, that's an interesting name for... I didn't even know he was a rapper. I just knew they yeah, were okay. signing him. They were doing R&B. They were doing rap. And, and I said, that's an interesting name. And I put it in a folder and I put it behind me thinking I'll probably never hear from him again. And that time I was wrong. I think I've been wrong twice in my career. That time was one of them. And were you already representing the Insane Clown Posse at that time? Not at that time. Not at that time. Uh, you know, I don't know. Because I, I represented them for a while and then for a little, quite a while I didn't. And then they came back to me. And so it was... It's been on and off with, with ICP. Okay. I love those guys. Now, the, the, ride, the ride of seeing Eminem go from just Marshall Mathers in a manila envelope to Eminem, worldwide, well-known star, is one of those things where gradually, like, oh, wow, this is another huge step, this is another huge step. Or was it one day you looked around and was like, everybody knows this guy? It, it, it started slow, you know. I mean, he exploded though. After once, once um, the my first name thing, is well, I, I remember I was um, negotiating the publishing deal, mm-hmm. and the publisher said to me, "We have to get this done now because it's, it's be this is blowing up. They're going to ship. I think it was a million copies of a brand new artist. Wow, uh, we need this done now." So I knew, you know, there was there was uh, not only the talent, but there was the audience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, it was, it was a gradual one thing leads to another again, where it just was getting so big that it was mind blowing. You know, you'd watch uh, the today show in the morning and, and all of a sudden they're singing, uh, you know, my name, my is, name is or something, right. you know, and, and I remember my wife and I, one time were uh, driving through Italy, pulled into a gas station, and this was early in his career, relatively early, pulled into a gas station, and the the guys there who worked there were just blasting Eminem, you know, out of the speakers in the in the gas station. And that was when I realized this isn't just a local Detroit or U.S. thing. This is Worldwide, really spreading. Yeah. yeah. No, he, he's huge. And uh, I, I met Howard back when he was representing Eminem in his criminal matter. He, uh, if you recall, he was accused of pistol whipping a guy outside a club in Warren that I think was called Hot Rocks, who he thought was kissing his wife. Uh, they may have been an innocent peck on the cheek, whatever. He had just come home from the road. One of the things that uh, that I've always admired about Eminem, other than just his, his brilliance and his ability to as an artist, but he tried to be a local guy long after he should have been somewhere else. I mean, he would live on a regular street he'd hang out places where he used to hang out and you just at some point i know we make fun of these stars who have bodyguards and posses and stuff like that but at some point you can't just r- jump drop into the local nightclub where people are playing darts when you're on a billboard hot 100 chart without being treated differently and i think that same weekend he'd gotten in a beef with someone from 
Actually, I think it was a roadie or somebody from ICP at uh, Mickey Shores on not too far right. from here on Woodward. It was actually the Mickey Shores happened at around 5 o'clock in the afternoon. That's right. And then around 1 or 2 a.m. Closing the time. same yeah. day or going into you know the next day is when he had the problem at Hot Rocks. It, it was a bad weekend, but I think you also may have represented him in his divorce. Was that right? I or? didn't represent him. I was the entertainment consultant in okay. his divorce. So Howard goes way back with him, but I, one of the things I, I wonder is when you get into this business, do you like music? Is that one of the things that you that got you into this, or was it just an area of the law where you said this is this is interesting? And if I'm going to deal with cutthroat individuals, they won't be juvenile offenders; they'll be record company executives. <laughs> I, when I was six years old, and I've been able to pinpoint the date by looking at the charts. When I was six years old, I first heard Elvis sing Hound Dog on the radio. And not only was I hooked, but at six years old, I sounded exactly like Elvis. Or I thought I and did. And we're going to play that tape now. <laughs> Do we have that? No. And I even did a thing, you know, curling my lip, kind of like, like he would when I was singing. I mean, I thought I'd nailed it. So I've always, always been into music. And I didn't know there was such a thing as entertainment law until I got this phone call, and I said, oh, entertainment, well, that's a good idea, and I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I stayed at the Defender's Office probably another five years uh, between Juvenile Defender and then the quote-unquote Adult Defender Office, then went out on my own. By that time, I had already started building my entertainment practice. And was anybody in Detroit doing it at that time? Um, Mike <laughs> Novak started God rest his soul. Yeah. A little bit, I think a little after me. And then he was working for, and I'm drawing a blank on his name now, another lawyer who eventually got in some trouble and, and lost his license. Um but uh oh, Mike boy. and I and until he died, is it ten years ago? It could be. Yeah, it would have been twenty thirteen. Well, that's wow. 10 years yes, ago. it was yeah, during January. the it was during the Kilpatrick trial. Where's the bell? But I remember that yeah. because uh, that was the only day I didn't go to court. I went to Mike's uh, service at uh, St. Paul's on the lake there in Grace right. Point. Uh, Pat Friedel, that, that's the name of the lawyer who Mike okay. worked with, uh, who was doing it. He turned out. I found out later he was the entertainment lawyer. And in my head, I was singing the song, you know, I'm the new kid on the block, watch out. <laughs> but you don't represent the new kids on the block. No. no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's be clear on that. Um, you represent Eminem and ICP early on. One of the big plot lines with Eminem was he was in a beef with ICP, that they were sworn enemies. Oh, yeah. You ever have to mediate anything like that? Did you have to apologize for one guy that's like, hey, Marshall's cool, hey, uh, you know, Shaggy. I stayed away. I stayed away from it all. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a time when, I think it was around that time when I wasn't representing ICP. I think that was during my gap. Okay. And and that was a good thing because I didn't want to get involved in, in a dispute between them or have to, you know, stop representing one of them because of it. I just stayed away. And you've seen them without their makeup. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I have. <laughs> okay, okay. So mo- most of what you do is it? It's trademark? Is it copyright? I mean, you've been. I gotta imagine huge battles over songs and permissions. Is sure, that what it is? Sure. Well, I, I I break it down to four different things that I do. Okay. One is uh, 
drafting and negotiating contracts. And I do it in music, film, television, uh, books, all different entertainment areas. Uh, the second thing is copyright and trademark. And I've got a great partner, Joe Belanca, who works with me, and he handles most of the copyright and trademark filings for clients that we do. And then the third thing is dispute resolution. And I always tell clients, you're better off not litigating if you can resolve the issues without yeah. litigating because it's so expensive, first of all. And second of all, you forever. don't and you don't know what the result's gonna be because a judge or a jury may look at things totally different than you look at them and and you're putting it in someone else's hands. So it's always best to try and resolve without the litigation if you can. Especially if there's money involved. Especially right. if yeah, there's really money. This way, later. you're making the decision. Maybe you're not getting everything you want, but you're making the decision rather than a judge or jury making it for you. What What are some of the big uh, cases that you've had that you've had um, maybe with copyright? Like, hey, you can't use that video or that music. Well, one interesting one was uh, I was uh, co-counsel on a case uh, where we sued uh, Apple. Oh, boy. I, actually, two cases where we sued Apple, but this particular one was uh, they, let's see, what can I talk about? <laughs> this is public. I imagine, too, when you sue Apple, they walk in with like 35 lawyers, like Mr. Burns with his whole team of lawyers right. behind him. The, the bottom line was that they wanted to use the song Lose Yourself in a commercial for a new product of theirs called the iPod. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. And uh, <laughs> Marshall said no. He didn't want to endorse a product. And uh, that should be it. Seems they, pretty simple. It should be it. Uh, there were emails back and forth just to confirm it's a definite no. And this is all in public records. That's why this part of it I can talk about. And uh, two months later, it was on MTV, the commercial. Oh, dicks. Uh, so <laughs> how did they justify that? Uh, they'd rather. A, he has his publishing rights, forgiveness right? and ask permission. It was a mistake. Come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a convenient mistake. Uh, anyway, so that was one. Um, I sued the FBI on behalf of the Juggalos, which is the uh, ICP and their fan, fan club, base, yeah. because they were uh, put on the FBI's gang list. Uh, the FBI admitted that they had a million fans, but they didn't distinguish between those fans that were truly just fans and those fans. I mean, we had what, people more contact us that were that were lawyers in Lansing you know, in government saying, well, I'm a juggalo. Am I now a gang member? Yeah. <laughs> it was a ridiculous It was crazy. Statement. But unfortunately, the law wasn't favorable well, to us. Well, that, I mean, you were telling us before the show that it kind of got tossed um, a couple times, right? Uh, right. By, by the appeal court. But I, and then it made me think, like, what's more intimidating, going up against Apple and their bank of lawyers or going against the government? Um. It turned out the government because we lost. Yeah. I mean, I don't like losing. Well, they, they make the rules almost. <laughs> yeah. And and basically that's what the appellate court said is they get to decide. They get to do what they and, want. And, you know, not totally, but. But yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> wink, so, wink. Howard, when you're telling your clients, listen, it's better for us to come up with a resolution. Let's try and have some say in how this is going to end. Is that very similar to the advice you'd give your clients when you were a criminal defense attorney? Let's not leave oh. this up to the judge and the jury. I mean, it, that sounds like it's the same same playbook, right? It is very similar. Um, the difference being 
on the criminal side, there were times when I could tell that I had, or my client had, a really good chance of winning a trial. And I would say to them, you know, this is what they're offering to you, what, what you can get if you, you know, enter a plea of guilty. But on the other hand, based on the evidence, I think we could really win a trial. And I had a great track record. I think I won like 24 out of 26 trials. Wow. And, and the other two, I think, were hung juries. I mean, I only went to trial if I really felt confident and, and Sure. Well, and given the caseload that public defenders have, being able to go to trial to have the the resources to hire an investigator to take the time in a case, that is a luxury that few public defenders and clients have. So well, I I remember in one particular murder in two particular murder cases, I was the investigator. I went door to door sure. in the neighborhood, talking to people, putting the evidence together, getting witnesses, because we didn't in the defender office always have uh, investigators that were available. Uh, that's that's incredible. Now your your background as a criminal defense attorney and your representation of Eminem when he went to court. Did you draw upon a lot of that? I mean, Wally Wally P. For people who don't know Wally Pizzatowski, former federal prosecutor, now one of the leading criminal defense attorneys in southeastern Michigan, is is a partner of, uh, and I don't know if that's the right legal term, but he's part of your firm. Yes, he's uh, a partner. Yeah, yeah a great attorney. Um, did you find yourself saying, well, you know, hey, Wally, I know a lot about entertainment law, but I maybe we want to do this with the criminal case where you start uh, butting your nose in on the, uh, on the defense? Well, it, it really, given the high profile especially in Eminem's case where, you know, you'd get to court and there'd be five satellite dishes outside uh, and, and you know, the, the building was packed. It took the two of us to, you know, double team uh, work our relationships with the prosecutor's office, with the police, with the judges, and, and uh, you know, come up with a the right result. So we worked really well as a team and, and we worked together both also on Marilyn Manson and on Jack White. Okay. So you keep your hand in the criminal defense bar. Uh, yeah. I don't know your the, all the technical <laughs> yeah. details maybe, but I know how to negotiate and how to deal with people. And that's, you know. Yeah. Now at the time you're getting ready to bring Eminem into court, he's on the cover of Double XL with uh, wearing like overalls, the chainsaw and tattoos, and he looks like a maniac and he he has this persona where you could you could if you were a prosecutor convince a jury that this is a mad dog, <laughs> and when he comes into court, uh, he you was know, serious. Spick he, and span, dark suit, white shirt, uh, solemn as a church mouse. I mean, how did you? How hard was it to prepare him for that situation? It wasn't hard. He took this very seriously. He knew especially because, you know, he didn't want to go to prison. He didn't want to leave his daughter. He cared so much and still does about his daughter. And uh, he took it all very serious, and he knew what he had to do in order to impress the judge, really. Was there a realization that uh, I really am big time now, but I'm not bigger than this, or people may try and take me down because I've become this huge target? I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> um, he he just took it seriously. He knew that uh, his freedom was on the line, 
and that he had to treat it seriously and he had to uh, cooperate with his lawyers and with the system to the extent necessary in order to get probation, which is what we eventually got him. He's a, he's a fascinating guy. Um, he seems to have always known how to separate Marshall Mathers from Eminem. Granted, there were a lot of bumps in the road to get there. Uh, but nowadays, it feels like artists, um, when they get in trouble with the law, maybe kind of flaunt it. Because I'm thinking of like maybe a Meek Mill or uh, Tory Lanez, you know, and they're out there and their public persona is so important that it almost becomes ingrained with that. But how, how does Marshall... I mean, he stays out of all this shit now. He just does his thing, you know, does his charity thing, doesn't have a need to be seen. And it just seems so opposite of artists today. I agree. You know, he he is one of the hardest working people I know. He's in the studio all the time, working, writing, producing his music. I just, you know, that's that's his life. He really... uh, but he has no need. It's just fascinating to me. It's like no need to be on Twitter. No need to be on Instagram. Granted, he is the artist well, aspect of it, but he's it, not out there tweeting all the time. Or, well, it's not him. They, they, that's what know, I mean, though. He's like, he has no interest the in The label that. does, or this does, or that does. Right. Not him individually. I, I just love that about him because we're so inundated with so many different things now. And you came up in a really interesting time, too, because this whole transition from traditional media to now where... You have influencers. You have digital media. Right. Um, how how has that been a challenge with like the publication, for instance, of you know Napster? People were stealing music, and now Spotify is just keeping all the money from the artists. Right. The, how the, has that changed? The major change is that artists, unless they're huge artists, don't make much money from their recordings. They used to be able to make a living sometimes, <laughs> believe it or not. Even a you know a relatively new artist, uh, but could, now it seems and, like everybody and, feels like they can be an artist because it's so easy. To well, make yeah, music but but and, you have to be able to earn a living somehow yeah. too, unless you're going to rely strictly on a day job. So you've got to get you've got to build your fan base and not count so much on making the money from streaming because streaming is like eighty five okay. or ninety percent of record sales yeah. now and it's nothing so you've got to be able to make money from gigs and from merchandise but you can only make it from gigs and merchandise if people know you yeah. so you've got to make the recordings in order to get out there but then you have to have a promoter and you have to have you repped artists uh for live shows and live productions does that fall under your realm oh sure sure so how has that changed because you know there's a certain monopoly right now with ticket prices and live shows for these big artists. And I've always been amazed, you know, you see Beyonce and the, the cheapest ticket's 150 bucks, right? Way up in right. the rafters. But honestly, she could probably get 300 for that. Um, how is that negotiated with, you know, say a live nation when you're like, we're going to do a tour here. Do you, I mean, how does that, do you have much wiggle room because it is such a monopoly? Well, it's the promoter that has to decide what the pricing basically is going to be. And then Ticketmaster decides how much they're going to tack yeah, on. Fees. And, and you have to, right. And so you have to negotiate with them in terms of making sure that, you know, you set the price for the tickets low enough that people will actually come 
Well, I and, like what Kid Rock, you know, Kid Rock would make $25 tickets, right? Right. Those tickets will be sold on the secondary market for a lot more than that. Sure. So our it's artists, a mess. Our, it is. It really, yeah, I guess maybe my question's a mess because I feel like the whole thing is a mess. But you know, are artists scared to charge what the market would actually bear for a ticket price? It depends on the artist. I mean, you know, uh, I I don't think so. I think that the artist, and it's mostly their managers, their booking agents, the promoters of the shows that decide what the price is going to be more than the artist. And and they pick a that price out of balance. And they pick a price that they think is within range of what people are willing to pay, so that they can fill the place or fill sure. it enough to make the tour and, and each of the shows profitable. It, it's, so the artist doesn't have that much control then. Well, I mean, I'm they? sure they could. If they're say, big enough, if they're big enough, they could say to their manager or whoever, "No, I'm not going to charge that much," or "No, that's too cheap. Let's." Go for more. Wow. Well, the Cure did that. They they basically said we're not going to cash in as much as we could, and they led a big kind of public shaming campaign for Live Nation or Ticketmaster, whoever it was. Um, but that's that's the exception. I mean, right. this is this is a this is a, a tough game. How much have things changed since you were advising your? teacher's husband your teacher friend's husband and and where we are today where you're now representing some of the biggest acts in the country in in the world because every once in a while i still get contacted by somebody from germany who wants to talk about eminem <laughs> oh yeah no i i i work not just in detroit although most of my clients have been detroit based but i work nationally and internationally and I go, uh, at least until COVID, I was going every year uh, to the south of France to the Cannes Film, not Cannes Film Festival, the Cannes Music Festival, which is called Medam. And I meet people from all over the world there, and I'm doing business there. And I remember one time uh, getting a phone call in my office from a friend of mine who's one of the big publishers in Japan. And he called me up and said, Howard, I just saw you on television with Eminem in court. You were great. And I said, well, it wasn't just. He said, yeah, yeah, it was last night. I said, well, that was three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> they might have just shown it again as sure. part of something or other. But, you know, it, it, it shows the, you know, the worldwide attention that artists like Marshall do get. But in terms of the, uh, I'm going to say, exploitation of the music, not in a negative way, but... You know, the, the different things you can put on ringtones, you can put it on. I mean, I guess m music's always been in movies and things like that. But right. are there more opportunities for artists to license their music and make money from different uh, uh, platforms? Or it, That's an interesting question that I grapple with every day. The answer is there are more opportunities, yes, uh, starting after Napster when people thought music should be for free. That was one of the ways that I helped steer some of my clients to have an income stream was through uh, licensing their music to film, television, and commercials. And generally what I would do is I would go to a half a dozen different uh, what's called sync agents, uh, sync for synchronization, which means when music is synchronized with a visual, that's what you do when you license music for 
movie, TV, commercials. So I'd go to these sync agents and promote the artists. And when I first started doing it, and for the first 10 or 15 years, as long as they loved the music, it didn't matter if the artist was popular, if the artist was touring, if the artist had a big name, because the movies and TV shows were more interested in great music that they didn't have to pay too much money for. Okay. So I did that for years. Now, when I do the same thing and go back to the same sync agents, more often I hear, well, the problem is that the people at the production companies who are buying the music, they want someone who's already got a huge buzz. They want someone when people hear it on the TV show, they go, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. It sounds like book publishing, basically. If you're not a celebrity, you're it not going to get a deal. It made it much more difficult, even okay. in book publishing, yeah. So there are still deals, and I still get... I, I manage a band, uh, The Go, if you're familiar with The Go, that actually uh, Jack White used to be in The Go on their first album on Sub Pop Records back in... Wow, Sub Pop. In 98, Sub Back Pop. With, with the dwarves and, uh, yeah. and a bunch of other... And, and we've had success with the go licensing their music even though they don't perform anymore they haven't been recording in years but we still get requests and and license their music for tv shows and commercials and okay and because they have a certain well, cachet and you've represented far more people than Eminem, so I don't want to turn this into the, the Eminem show but what you did cover but Eminem. i have more Eminem but, questions but but the but the ipod <laughs> thing i find fascinating because Eminem, for people who don't know it, legitimately grew up broke. I mean, I first started reporting on him because of his criminal issues, and I got interested in his background and whether his music was truly biographical, and it really is. He did move around a lot. He did get beat up in middle school. His mom did sue a lot of people. Uh, Including you know, him. Yeah, well, and, and we covered that too. I, I'm sure you remember Fred Gibson and some of the other attorneys on the other side who sure. represented his mother and then got sued by his mother, which is not an uncommon uh, experience. But this is a guy who really had nothing. And how could he turn away a potentially lucrative deal like that? I would think a hungry dog would eat everything he could find on the plate until he gorged himself and got sick. Right. He was already, he had won an Academy Award for the song. So he was already doing well. He was already a quote-unquote star. And he just wasn't ready to give that song up for a new product. And, and in fact, you know, in effect, endorse it. They argued we, it wasn't an endorsement. We said, yeah, it really was. If you're putting his song and his music with that product, it's... Absolutely. The equivalent yeah. of an endorsement. So how, when did it change, and how did it change? Was it just, uh, was it the Super Bowl ad he did for, was it, oh, was it Chrysler? Uh, one, of, one of the car I think companies. The Chrysler, it was Chrysler. I think it was the Chrysler. This is Detroit, and this is what we do is here. That, that was cool. I mean, that was. I mean, is it, it's got to be because it's Detroit, but is that the only time he's licensed it for commercial? No, there, there was another one. I want to say Frito-Lay or something. There was another one I recall. Like yeah, lose yourself in the Cheetos. That was Cheetos, a maybe. <laughs> so no, what, what do you think changed <laughs> in his <laughs> mentality, or why did that change? Just like, yeah, everyone's doing it, and this is the new revenue stream? or I can't say. I don't, I don't know. know. I wasn't involved in that. What do you make of artists? 
artists now selling their catalog at a much younger age than you know usually estates used to sell a catalog for sure. a big chunk of money and now you see you know uh, motley Crue did it you've seen bob well bob dylan's up there but you see a lot more artists at a younger age sell their catalogs well i think that timing is everything and this happens to be a time when there are purchasers out there that are willing to pay hedge funds some are hedge funds but some are individuals and and some are you know just companies that have been put together by established people in the industry that see the value and they're willing to pay multiples of earnings to hold on to what they see as music that's going to last you know uh, they say have a long tail and last for another you know 10, 20, 30, 40 years and have value. And I think that if the artist, you know, they're not giving, they're giving up the income stream or part of it. It depends, you know, what well, the like deal is. Like a guaranteed is. income stream or, from streaming and that or? Well, no, what they're, what typically, it's the music publishing side that's especially uh, blown up in terms of uh, selling catalogs. Mm. And there's two parts to music publishing. There's the publisher's share, which is 50% of the income stream, and then the songwriter, him or herself, gets 50% of the income stream. So sometimes they're selling just the publisher's share, which they may have already sold previously but got back through a copyright reversion uh, under the Copyright Act, and then they're reselling it for a lot of money. And I think that that's wise to do. And, and then these publishers, if you want to, they'll also buy your songwriter share from you. So instead of you having the income stream of the 50% going into the future, you won't have an income stream, but you'll have a lot of money in the bank or invested. Yeah, that you can and, do with what you want. Exactly. But, but you lose a certain amount of control, and I would think artists always love that control of who could use their music and... You, where you, it was. And, and that can be part of the negotiating. You oh, know, okay. Part of it could be, I'm not saying it is, but part of it could be that they can, you know, they can only use it for certain types of commercials. What blew my mind uh, was the first time I heard a Beatles song in a commercial yeah. was for a diaper commercial. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Well, how uh, like how long ago was that? Because they, I mean, they were really slow to adapt to even, you know, at, well, they weren't on iTunes for the longest time. And I want to say Michael Jackson owned their publishing for a long, long time. Yes, until Paul he did. It. Paul McCartney Paul got that, it back. Right? Broke up yeah. their friendship, didn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't good. know about that, but uh, yeah, I, I he think did own it. Yeah, I think uh, I think Paul McCartney was mad at at Michael Jackson because he bought it. He's like, hey, man, didn't you? Say anything to me, but <laughs> he bought it on the advice of Paul. He's like, "You should always get publishing," and so he's like, "All right, I'll buy yours," <laughs> which is kind of shitty. Yeah. Well, in any case, that's the music business. That's the music business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Howard, um, you also represent people like like Elmore Leonard, who, on in terms of the uh, generational different end of the spectrum from from Eminem. Uh, in terms of the the content, very different published writing as opposed to music. What's it like to go from one day, maybe like, oh, you're talking to Dutch about something, the next day you're talking to, to George Clinton about something, maybe like, hey, Prince needs to get a note back from us. I mean, it, th that must be 
that must be just a fascinating uh, milieu to move in. It is. I find it invigorating. Not so much lately, maybe because I'm getting too used to it. But I remember I used to get all excited. Someone just called me from Sony, you know, just or whatever it was, <laughs> right. you know. Uh, you know, back when I was first doing it and, and unexpectedly hearing from a major label or a major publisher or someone. Uh, but it, you know, it becomes, you know, somewhat uh, routine. You know, it, it's a stressful job because you can imagine, you know, you're dealing with big issues and big egos and big money and big money. And, and very and, short windows too, right? You may be hot today and you got to make your money today because tomorrow you're like, hey, whatever, man. Oh, yeah. You're opening yeah. up for Frankie Valley at Andiamo's. Congratulations. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And, and not only that, but just to give you an example with um, like when I was negotiating some car commercials for the music from the go, because they had one song that really worked and, and we did, sold it to three different car companies around the world. Uh, Mercedes of Australia, Peugeot. International and Subaru of Canada okay. all wanted the same song. They all claimed they didn't know the other ones were using it. I don't believe that, but but what happens is they contact you and then they say, "Okay, you know," I say, "How soon do you need to know?" And they say, "You know, three days. We have to know mm. in three days," or sometimes they'd say seventy-two hours, which is the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but or, or other times, you know, if it's going to go on a TV show. Sometimes they'll say, you know, we need to know within an hour because the show is airing tomorrow night and we need to be able what? to plug it in. Yeah, yeah. It's I their they, fault. I hope they have a plan B. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's their fault for waiting. Is that what it is? It's just a waiting game? Like, oh, well. No, it's, it's that they're trying to find the right song for the right price. So maybe the song they were first looking at oh. got too expensive. But don't forget, they're in a series, you know, they're doing one week after another after yeah. another. It, it, it is a short window. And, uh, and do you find that people have had sustained success like Elmore Leonard uh, take a different approach to things? I mean, I, I read one time that Bob Woodward was meeting with his agent and he, you know, all of his books are bestsellers. And the agent said, well, what's your next book, Bob? And Bob Woodward was like, you know, they're always after me. I said, well, I think my next book is going to be about what a pain in the ass the publishing industry is. <laughs> and he said, well, that'll be your last book, but really, what's your next What's your next book? Right. I mean, does a guy like Dutch say, hey, when I got it, I got it. I'm not worried about not being cool because I've been cool for so long. I'll always be cool. Or is it a matter of, you know, God, if I'm not on top, you know, what, what is, is Dutch losing it? You know, I'm, I don't want to yeah. keep picking on Elmer Leonard, mm. but but he's a fascinating well, guy. Well, he was great. You know, he died about, I want to say, seven years ago. Uh, but he was one of my favorite clients. I worked with him for over 30 years. Uh, and for those who might not know, you know, he, he wrote about 45 novels, I think 35 of which were made into major motion pictures like uh, Get Shorty, Out of Sight, Jackie, Jackie Brown. Brown. And most of the movies that were made, he hated. Stick because, being <laughs> first and foremost, probably. Because, you know, as, as he put it, his humor is in the books, but it's quote-unquote subtle. And when they would make these movies, they would have someone deliver the line, and then they would pan to someone else who was cracking up. And he said, no, that's not <laughs> it. You're not supposed to do that. And he, he would just... He, there were times he walked out on movies. You like Get Shorty, though? Love Get Shorty, yeah. Because I don't remember a lot of panning to reactions. Get Shorty, Jackie Brown, 
and and uh, out of sight. Unless somebody was saying, "Look at favorite. me," and then you had to put the camera on. Him. Right, right. No, he he loved that movie, but uh, I remember uh, I got invited by his agent to go along with Dutch and the agent and his researcher uh, to the Telluride Film Festival because they were honoring Dutch on his 75th birthday. And uh, one day I was walking down the street with him and, you know, people would come up to him, oh, you know, Dutch, you know, you know can we shake your hand or whatever? And, and he would, before they had a chance to really talk, he'd say, just a second, be careful what you say. This is my lawyer who I'm with. <laughs> And it just, you know, cracked me up. But it, it, it was fun. He was just a great, great guy. Mike has not asked this yet, and he's a little shy at times, so I'm going to ask it for him. Have you had anything to do with the Smiths in your career? No. No, I, I haven't. I, and and I was, I don't, I've never been a Smiths fan. Uh-oh. And it's not because... I don't like their music. I don't even know what their music is. <laughs> Howard, thanks for coming in. <laughs> well, I mean, you really seem to carve out Detroit, which is a pretty damn good area of artists. I, I've, well, there's a Smith cover band in Detroit that yeah. plays no, I know. at Mike's Rooftop. There you go. No, I get that, but there's so much work here because there's been a lot of artists, not just artists, but big artists to come out of this oh, area. Uh, Motown. I, you know, well, Motown. Motown. There's a, a, what a the, genre of music that's well, yeah. well, one of the reasons that I didn't know about entertainment law when I first was in law school or coming out of law school was Motown had just left and gone to California. <laughs> sure. So, you know, so you think, okay, the artists are gone. It's not a big deal here, blah, 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 whatever. But I believe that more major label and major artists have come out of Detroit than any city in the world because you take like New both, York like raised here right yeah you take New York you take LA people you take, go there Nashville they people, go yeah. there from Nashville they go there from other places to make it yeah. i'm talking about homegrown right. talent or they came in order you know they came to Detroit That's because they were working at the car factory or something you know and and they ended up being artists well and Howard's in, been involved in Detroit Music Awards Foundation uh, Michigan Film Industry Association the Detroit Music Foundation the Sphinx organization to tell people a little bit about the Sphinx organization for people who don't know about it because it, it seems like one of the most extraordinary things in uh, in performing arts? Well, the Sphinx organization, it, it was started by a young guy, he's still young. Larry Sphinx. Uh, named Aaron Dworkin. <laughs> and, and Aaron is um, a African-American, but mixed race, uh, but was adopted uh, by a Jewish family in New York and raised playing classical violin. Oh, wow. And eventually went to University of Michigan for undergrad and grad school in uh, performance, thinking he was going to end up at uh, a symphony orchestra somewhere in the country you know, playing violin. And when he was in school, he realized that he was one of the few right. uh, people of color, whether uh, African-American or what we now call Latinx, uh, that they just weren't there. And he decided instead of doing it for himself, he was going to do it for people of color. And he started this organization called the Sphinx Organization uh, while he was still in school. Uh, started with a national competition for kids 
uh, ranging from, I think it's 13 years old to 23 years old, and there's a junior division and a senior division, and he kept uh, building it and growing it, and he was, I think, about five years into it, he was given the so-called Genius Award. Oh, MacArthur Genius MacArthur Genia Award, sure. where, where you don't... Uh, you don't apply, they find you and they say, we think you're doing fabulous things, here's a half a million dollars, do whatever you are doing now, just keep doing it. I, I turned them down like Eminem uh, oh, with yeah. the iPod. I, I probably <laughs> yeah. should have taken it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. I mean, you know, half a million isn't what it used to be. No, 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 it's, <laughs> it's like 450,000 now. Yeah. <laughs> so he then, you know, continued to build the organization and uh, became... Uh, known by the Obamas when they came into into the White House and, and the kids performed there. And then uh, Obama appointed him to the uh, National Council for the Arts. And he was at an event, now being on the National Council for the Arts, at, and they seated him where they wanted him to be seating, and he's sitting next to a woman. And she says, so, you know, tell me, what do you do? Why are you here? And he tells her, you know, the short version of, of the story I just told you. And she says, well, that's fascinating. I want to help you. And he says, well, who are you? How can you help me? And she said, well, I'm a Supreme Court Justice, Sotomayor. And uh, Supreme Court Justices are allowed one night a year at the Supreme Court to have an event for a nonprofit. And I want you to oh, wow. be my nonprofit. So I think, I, I think it's 12 years ago. I've been on the board 16 years now. I think it was 12 years ago. And uh, every year we do a black tie dinner in the hall of the U.S. Supreme Court with Justice Sotomayor being our host for the night. And she introduces, we, we give out awards to uh, black and Latinx artists who have already started making it. They're like in their 40s usually. And we give them each a, a $50,000 grant and they perform in the hall of the U.S. Supreme Court with the Justice Sotomayor introducing each one of them in between courses. It's just a wonderful night. And, and, the, and uh, Afa, who's Aaron's wife, has now taken over as uh, running the organization, and he's doing a million other things. He's very uh, well respected in the industry. That's pretty good. Now, I understand Clarence Thomas has tried to get $50,000 for playing a banjo. <laughs> there you go. But that's on a private island that he's been flown to by somebody. So that's a different event, right? Yeah, different. Yeah, that's a different yeah, yeah, event. Yeah, okay, yeah, I just yeah, want to make yeah, sure yeah, I keep my... They're not buddies. No. I want to keep my Supreme Court justice fundraisers yeah, separate. Yeah. But, uh, so but, one of the things I'm involved in right now is I'm on the board of the Michigan Film Industry Association, which we call MIFIA, not to be confused with... Mafia. Mm -hmm. but Unless, you know, you cross uh, you. Well, if sometimes you cross Howard, when we're then, asking for money, yeah. you know. See, he, these guys may come talk to you. <laughs> and uh, what we're trying to do and what we're advocating for and we're making a lot of progress right now is to reinstate uh, what we're currently calling a uh, multi-media jobs act and what it would do is bring the film industry back up to speed in michigan uh, as well as other media 
because it's not just film. Uh, and uh, right now we have bipartisan support in the Michigan legislature. There's uh, legislation that's nearly drafted and we're hoping for it to be introduced uh, in the next few weeks possibly. Very soon. Well, that so. would be great because this is the first new industry Michigan's had probably in 50 years. And it was created with a subsidy that Governor Granholm brought in. It was torpedoed by Governor Snyder, who said he didn't want to pick winners and losers, but then proceeded to pick winners and losers. It's been a while. Uh, a lot of this filmmaking has shifted to places like Georgia. And there were a lot of young people and some older folks who had gone to a lot of trouble to set themselves up to be successful in this industry only to have the rug yanked out from the red carpet yanked right out from under them. And it would be great if you guys succeeded because as you know, through your, through your, your law practice, there is a ton of talent in this state and it'd be great for us to keep as much of it here as possible. People talk about the brain drain in Michigan and why are people leaving? Well, when you have cool jobs, for creative entrepreneurial people, they will stay here and people will come to join them. Exactly. And I think that people are, you know, it's interesting because even some of the legislature, legislators are realizing that their kids, they want to keep their kids in Michigan and some of them want to be in the creative world. So we're helping and we're trying and we're advocating to, to, uh, rebuild the creative industries in Michigan, create jobs, and we're doing it in, in a different way than it was done last time, rather than it being where the state writes a check, it's now being proposed where it's a tax credit. Yeah. So it's not money coming out of the coffers, it's some money that isn't going in necessarily, but it comes in other ways. Well, and, and that's what they've just done with District Detroit and with some of the things that Dan Gilbert's doing downtown, where if you build it, you get to take a piece. Or you can, and I imagine if, if there's some sort of credit, these may be things that other people want to invest in. Uh, I, I don't know what the shape of the legislation is, but, uh, but this would not be taking money out of the general fund. It sounds like it would be taking money that is new money and taking a portion of it and investing it in this industry. In a sense, I guess, yeah. Okay. Well, we'd like to know more about that as that moves forward, Howard. Uh, you know, it's been great to have you here. If you don't mind just leaving your phone with the passcode here when you go, we'd appreciate that. Sure. Oh, I can just download everything. <laughs> you know, actually, we may have scraped some of that data while you were here. I did give you a password. It's kind of a two-way thing. But, uh, yeah, we'll book the rest of the year's guests just going through Howard's phone. But, uh that must be one hell of a roller. Rolodex, yeah. Wow. It's interesting. My, one of my partners always joked that my list of 10,000 contacts is more than the rest of the firm put together. I believe it. How, how often does uh, somebody in your office walk by your office and you say something like, tell Matt Damon, I'll get back to him. We're trying to figure out whether we want to put this in his <laughs> damn movie. But tell, you know, I, I'm busy right now. Or, or better yet, I, I got to imagine you have memorabilia in your office that people oh, are like, what the hell's that? I do have a lot of memorabilia. I, I've been fortunate. I, I've got, uh, I have a, a Grammy from, really? from uh, the soundtrack to Hamilton. 
Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, they're from there. Yeah. Um, so who is your client well, there? So well, that, the that I can't discuss. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's not the actual physical Grammy. I tried getting one. They said, no, we give yeah, you a certificate. <laughs> and still, okay, it's better than nothing. It says Grammy. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, I'll be sending you a signed copy of the Kwame Sutra. If you, you can that, put it in the garbage can. That should complete your collection. <laughs> and, uh, and if you happen to get dysentery and read it uh that the ip is available for that if you know somebody who right, wants to right. you know just let me know well uh, yeah one of my favorite mem memorabilia is i have a a poster from the movie eight mile that is signed keep me out of jail <laughs> marshall d12 <laughs> and uh and as a follow-up to that because he had seen it one time uh, someone was writing an article about me, and they contacted Dutch Leonard, Elmore Leonard, to get a comment from him. And his comment was, or part of his comment was, uh, you know, I, I love Howard. He's great, and I've never been to jail. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. A lot of his... A lot of the people he's written about have been in jail. A lot of his oh, characters yeah. or have dead. just emerged from jail. Or but, dead. Uh, yeah. Howard, great to have you on the show. A proud Wayne State uh, tartar. And yes. now, now warrior. Um, it's it's great to see you here. It's great to have you giving back to a lot of our our local cultural institutions. And uh, you know, we we would love to have you back on again sometime if if you uh, if you don't mind joining us. Love to. Okay, I'll tell. I'll try and tell Sean to keep it down next time. So. <laughs> Thanks, Howard. <laughs> yap yap yap. Howard Hertz, uh, attorney to the stars, and uh, possibly. Possibly doing some pro bono work for Sean, but mainly because of his juvenile record. Very, he once stole a moped in Taiwan. I don't know if you knew that. No. I, what, what's the really? statute of limitations on that? <laughs> I think it's uh, lifetime. Oh, and I think that's the penalty is life. Oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Well, Taiwan, yeah. Could, could you just get him? It was Tokyo. Could you just oh, get him caned? Tokyo. Could we settle for a good caning <laughs> to here today? I think I think that's probably the way to get go. Get moving. I, th I think we could negotiate that. Okay. Well, we will get back to you with the update on that. In the meantime, uh, we're going to let Howard get back to work. And um, and if you are looking to save some money, we have a couple people we'd like to tell you about. Yeah, one of those is uh, Hall Financial, right? We all, know, we all know about Hall. The spring buying season is here. Home inventory is on the rise. Rates are starting to go down. So it might be the time to start buying now, but get everything in order first. And one of those things you need to do is call Hall Financial. They have a ton of programs, right, to get you help, save you money off your rate, maybe even help with down payment assistance. They have that 1% down program that gives you up to uh, 4000 forgivable down payment assistance for qualified buyers. Uh, or if you're maybe thinking about spring, summer renovations, maybe you got that second home up north, you want to refinance or get equity out of a house. There is so much they can do for you. Go to our website, mlsolodetroit.com. You'll see a little link there that'll take you to Hall Financial. Or uh, you can just call 866-CALL-HALL and make sure you tell them that we sent you. So Hall Financial, good people over there. And then if uh, you want to make some money from all that money you save, why don't you give Luke uh, Nowacki a call? He's going to look at your financial goals, see where you are, see where you want to be, and get you on that path. He'll provide a free consultation if you're just not... You know, maybe you don't know what you're going to get into and you're not so sure. Call Luke. He'll walk you through it. He's a good dude. Simple terms. That's what I like about him, too. He's, he'll lay it out. No BS. 248-663-4748 for Luke. Because when you call Luke, 
He will make it all about you, sweetheart. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRASIPC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. I wanted to mention, too, before we moved on, the whole thing about memorabilia in a lawyer's office. I don't know if I ever told you that story. I had a relative who was applying to be a lawyer at a law firm, and she walks in to this law firm in Toledo, Ohio, and looks around this guy's office and could not figure out why there's a giant poster of Dawson's Creek on the wall. And it turns out it was Martin Holmes, Katie Holmes's dad. But oh, in Toledo, have, right. Have this very, very nice office and then a framed poster for a, a show for, you know, teens and tweens. And it's like, well, that just doesn't seem to fit. I don't know. So I can imagine walking in, you know, to Howard's office and just being like, what is all this memorabilia about? So, I don't know. Pretty cool. What a cool gig. I think one of the funniest lines in Harold and Kumar was about Katie Holmes. Do you, you tell? That? No, I don't. Oh, boy. Okay. You've That's seen cool. Harold and Kumar? That's a, that's a new release for you. I, I just got oh, it man, yesterday. Geeks of it's on my, the my up and comers list. <laughs> him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek or we're turning into cool guys? Did you walk Howard out? Or is he just wandering around upstairs? Oh, what were you he, was, he was waiting to use the restroom upstairs. Are you going to walk him out? Apparently, Go is not just a band. No, oh, no I, I, I could walk him out. Was, I could weak. walk him out. I don't know if I'll come back in, though. What? Why? Why are you that's, such a grump today? I'm not as cold. It smells like sewage in here, but other than that, it's It does? Uh, that's my new cologne. <laughs> sewage? That's By the, Elric? The ass effect. Sewer. <laughs> I, I can't believe, Sean, that you had an opportunity to ask somebody... If they got to meet Prince, and what was that like? I know you're a big Prince fan. Oh, uh, yeah, I like Prince, but I asked the question I wanted to ask. Jeez. All right. You know what I mean? That's, it's good to have a man who knows what he wants. Um, so this this week's geek. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. We're going to ask if you could ask a question? Speaking of the uh, gentleman from you know, No, no, speaking of, uh, of somebody <laughs> that knows what they want. So you mentioned at the top of the show, or did you? Or is it pre-recording that I wrote a column about Angelo's? Yeah, we met the restaurant it. in the Ann Arbor. Thank you. Sean was going to walk you out, but he won't. <laughs> well, I, yeah, because I won't it. come back if I I'll do. Walk him out. No one wants to hear Angelo's story. No one wants to hear I'm the Angelo's story. Go ahead. He's he we'll found play, he, him uh, play him out. We'll do it live. Vener- venerable restaurant in Ann Arbor. We'll do it live. Announced it sold its property to U, U of M. Fucking thing sucks. Going to close in December. Anyway, <laughs> is this the key? At, Louis? at its at its yes, it is. At its height, <laughs> at its busiest, that there was a short order cook there. Somebody was in a hurry. Who was a huge pain in the ass? A really talented cook and started it just wore people out and and you know the owner put up with them and put up with them and yeah. put up with them because the lines around the corner. So it's not easy to survive in that environment and put out the food and have you know customers not be getting upset for waiting too long for the food. He was incredible that way. He was also a huge asshole and. Um, he finally went too far. He went after the the matriarch of the family a little bit, and he kept calling the wait staff. Um, how much can we cuss on this? Podcast? All you want. Yeah, you, you've set the bar on that. My cunts. mom was telling he me he called him uh, cunts. Sailor. So, Sean. so oh, the wow. owner had. Wait, that's that too far. That one I would have said we shouldn't. That's have done. the one we can't say. The owner said. <laughs> finally, <laughs> set him down, and said, "You you got to stop saying that. You can't stop. You can't keep." Calling the wait staff that you can't talk to him like that. You're gonna have to stop. Or you're gonna or you're gonna have to leave the restaurant. You're you're done if you can't stop saying that. He chose to leave. What? He chose to leave. A free speech, man. You're talking about somebody that knows what he wants. He wanted to be able to say that word to whomever and whenever he wanted. Sure. To. 
I'm glad Howard wasn't here to witness that. That's the kind so, of free speech we don't need to protect. I can't believe you would balk at that word, Mike, as much as you're a... Um, He's messing with you. I barely, I barely dropped the F-bomb. You're you going want me to, to drop Scotland a C-bomb? in a couple bomb? of weeks, although I don't... Scotland, do they like that word as much as they do a, a little bit further down? I'll tell you in two weeks. Are you going to use it all over the country? No, no. I, I'm, I'm, as you may know from people who listen to this show, I mainly just listen and observe and take notes. No, you do. <laughs> I let other people by share the way, their stories. By the way, by, by the way we, you know who another great short order cook was? Was Marshall B. Mathers III. Was he? We brought up... Uh, yeah, that's that's great. We brought up... Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. The Smiths. It's not interesting in, in the least. <laughs> we brought up... I don't believe that he could cook. You we brought up the with Smiths him. earlier, and... You did, you failed to mention that they're from the Detroit of England, right? Or you consider uh, that Birmingham. Birmingham? Is that Birmingham or, or is Manchester count? So, which is the Detroit? Sean uh, is trying to goad me here, and no, Teebs, I'm not trying to goad Teebs, you. you know what I'm talking about. Here. <laughs> You're trying to goad me, but I'm not going to fall into your trap, and I'm going to get right to this week's geek because no, Glasgow. You, you're you're that's trying it. to where you're going. <laughs> you're trying to cast me as someone who's Smith's obsessive, and that's just oh, not. If you listen to our opening. Is the it's, absolute it's, truth. It's just not fair. So let's get to this week's geek. This. Oh man, the geeks have inherited the earth. <laughs> we had a reset. We had the geek. I gave you the geek. The shorter to cook at Angelo's. What do you want? Wow. I mean, you can't be mad at him, ML. He contributed to a that segment. It feels like one of those stories was like uh, the short order cook, not me, another short order cook. Because the fact pattern you laid out sounds exactly like well, What do you want Sean to do? You want him to contribute, yeah, and then he does, our, and then you criticize him. That's how I really him. talk. Oh, my God. Did he really just say the pattern is not me? Th th that's what he said? <sighs> this, this week's geek. Oh, okay. Long overdue. Yeah, projector. Go ahead. Rob Sheffield. Who's that? Well, let me tell you, Sean. I'm glad <laughs> you asked. Going, Thank you. No, that was it. It was just Rob Sheffield. See you um, later. <laughs> Several years ago, oh, that's enough. a friend of mine sent me a link to a Rolling Stones article in which Rob Sheffield ranked all 73 of the Smiths' recordings and listed at number 72, meaning it was the 72nd, or no, meaning it was the second worst Smiths recording of all time, Barbarism Begins at Home. And let me tell you what Mr. Sheffield says about it. The longest Smith song at seven minutes, again, I'm not Smith's obsessive, which is either a sign of how deeply they cared about child abuse or a sign of how desperate they were to fill outside two of Meet is Murder. Unlikely slap-based enthusiast Andy Rourke plays the funk, never exactly, this band especially. Well, Andy Rourke passed away this weekend at the age of 59 after a, uh, a battle with cancer. One of the greatest new wave bass players, second only in my estimation to John Taylor, of Duran Duran. So Rob Sheffield, I've been waiting. Oh I've been God, laying clearly. in the weeds. I knew this day. So to you're get serious. Even with you this really come. is your geek of the week. It's related to the Smiths. You're serious. This isn't a put on. Well, that was going to be my <laughs> geek of the week, but then Mark said, "How about Shemmy Shembeckler?" And I'm all in on Shemmy. Oh, uh, we need. Do you want to talk about him now? No. He Why? used to work as a short order cook at Angelo's, Why? and he liked several posts involving the c word. No, no, no. We had. I'll, uh, I'll say this. I'll say this about Shemmy. We Shemi. had misogynist, not racist. <laughs> oh, so it's okay if you just hate women? Is that no, what you're I'm saying? I'm not saying it's okay. Even I'm if just, they're nice I'm looking, and you know, just making the distinction. I'll say this about Shemmy. I know a lot of people that were upset when he was hired, even before all the tweets came out. He's not. 
I don't think he's very well liked among um, certain factions of Michigan people. Does that make sense? I'm trying to be diplomatic about it. People that don't like Nepo babies? Uh, yeah, that's, if you want to say it that it way, should that's be fine. a Nepo baby. Oh, my God. God that was awful. That was so awful. Rob Sheffield. And then, so what's the song? Is that a Smith song? It's a tribute to the, the fallen base. Well, if you're paying attention, I think you already know what the song is. Not all seven minutes of it. There's some of that sweet ass John Taylor bass playing. Room 7609 is brought to you by the Cadu Cafe, where this week it's East Side Alive. The East Side Alive Festival begins Thursday and goes through the weekend. They are closed on Monday. Wednesday, that's tomorrow if you're listening today, is karaoke night where you're going to hear some sweet singing. In fact, Howard might be able to sign some talent up there. There's some really good singers. The food is great at the Cadu Cafe. The kitchen's open till midnight most nights. 10 o'clock on Sunday night. If you want to find out more about the Cadu, go to caducafe.com. Find out who's playing inside, who's playing outside, what's on that great menu. And, of course, there's all you want to know about feather bowling. And, yes, those sweet strains. Listen to that, listen to that powerful bass line thumping. Rob Sheffield, you may not have recognized this brilliance, but I sure do. This is our good friends, the Smith, featuring Andy Rourke with Barbarism begins at home. Settle down, they must be taken in time. 
one strong bass line there. Yeah, Rob Sheffield, you piece of crap. Or is it Bob? I don't know. Anyways. It's not Bootsy Collins, but it's not bad. No, that's... that's pretty, uh, no, It's pretty funky a, for the Smiths. A, a little mansion. Well, the other thing about, about Andy Rourke is... And Morrison this, has to whine over it. The slap bass and this kind of popping... He does the same thing in November Spawned a Monster, which was a big single for Morrissey. So this was not a one-off thing. This was a talent he had. And, do, and, the Smiths, do the Smiths lead the league in long song titles? Um, there's some, and then there's others like Ask, which is only three letters. So it's kind of runs the gamut, but only 72 songs. Um, and, and some of them were covers because uh, they love to do the 60s English female singers. That was a big thing of, of Morrissey's. And here it comes. There you go. So that's oh. Barbarism Begins at Home. Now, you have I, your clothes back on? I made a break in my month-long campaign to try and get the Sisters of Mercy to <laughs> come Mike on the show back on? <laughs> in advance of their appearance at the Fillmore on June 5th. I hope to see you there. But uh, when Andy Rourke dies, somebody like that, you have to you have to acknowledge it and make an exception. I also have learned since reaching out to several people who I'm hoping will connect me with Andrew Eldritch of the Sisters of Mercy's that he can be what the English might call a right prick. In fact, on his website, he has examples of four emails or inquiries sent by the media asking to interview him, along with his smart-ass responses. So, oh, what a dick. So I may end up making the list. I don't know. I think my, my uh, query was suitably yeah. respectful and not... Uh, not overly fawning and not overly obnoxious, but um, yeah, you don't mess with Andrew Eldritch. The other thing he has on his website is some of his favorite one-liners. Offstage comments include, I don't necessarily agree with everything I think, and he calls himself Vaughn. Vaughn's first law of the internet, the net is allergic to truth, reason, and humor. Very true. And uh, his onstage comments include things like, we are the light at the end of your sorry little tunnel. Mm. And it's all a matter of technique. We have it, and you don't. So if you shut the fuck up, we'll play some songs, and everybody will be happy. So so there's this week's uh, installment of the Sisters of Mercy. But Andy Rourke, uh, really sorry to see him is he, go. Is, is Andy, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Rest in much, peace. I don't know that much about the Smith. But is he underrated because Johnny Marr's so good and Morrissey's Morrissey? Yeah, I mean. I, I, those two guys are the first two guys you, you think of with the Smith. I mean, even. Me, I don't know a lot about the Smiths. I know those two guys. Right. Well, he's not exactly the George Harrison of the Smiths, but he was just kind of a, a quiet guy. Um, very. Well, don't diss George like that. No, no. What I'm no, saying no, is George, George was like like under underappreciated. Like there are three geniuses okay. in the Beatles. George was the third one. People don't look say at his solo career alone. No, that's right? the point. Yeah. Right. His solo but, career. Yeah. Yeah. But, but but Andy Andy Rourke didn't do that right that's what i'm saying is people don't look at the smiths and say there's a third genius in the smiths is andy rourke My, you know let's appreciate andy rourke but he was an incredibly talented dude uh, yes sean are you the lord <laughs> and my sweet lord me yeah uh, no, I'm, I'm, but I do have my mind set on you <laughs> and I hope we're going to make money, a whole lot of spending money because we're bringing back the merch store, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, oh, yeah, let's do it. So that's room <laughs> seven, six Oh nine. Speaking of, uh, of merch? a whole lot of money, uh, we have to thank our donors this week. Of course, uh, Bryant continues to be 
our bedrock, our a, a, a pillar of this show. And our, Dennis, our angel, our angel he is, investor, he is an angel. Uh, Dennis sends in a uh, a generous donation along with this note. Cram, Uh-oh. set this up like the DMP PayPal so I can donate monthly and forget to cancel. Sean, please continue being a freezing Michigan day to ML's Mylar balloon head. <laughs> Doesn't sound nice. Mark, you do an outstanding job on all three podcasts. How about a Charlie versus ML YouTube episode on the lack of real Let's reporting do it. in the news? Now, we do have a Charlie uh, episode where we, we hashed out some issues because Charlie said some stuff that and was... And I wasn't there that day. ...was BS, and he acknowledged it, and we had a good conversation. You can find that way deep in our catalog. But You're Cram, holding I, on to that one, like, right? I have to ask you, Cram, um, does the DMP have repeating donation option on their PayPal? Um, uh, sure. I didn't know that, but yeah. Really? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you? I will look into it. Did you set up the uh, Venmo yet? Right Sean, after Sean? you. Right after you work on. Would you like me to? Damn it! Donation. Damn it! We'll, in fact, you know what? Let's make a day of it, and then Charlie and I will mud wrestle on on YouTube. You can have charity. another round. I like that you hold on to that though. So that what's victory that? from three or four years ago. It wasn't a victory. It's simply an acknowledgement of the facts. You you hold on to that, kind of like the '84 World Series. What's wrong with that? Yes, I'm well known. I'm the I'm the Bubba Trammell of '84 World Series. Yeah, you are. you are. He's dead. What, are you mad that people love the '84 Tigers? No, not at all. You know, it's funny that I remember growing up going, "This is a love affair." The '68 Tigers. <laughs> and now here I am, like '84 Tigers. This is the greatest sports well, team in well, the world. And remember how people? It's been 16 years since we had a World Series. Well, now it's been almost 40 years. I, I mean, holy crap! That's 16 funny. years doesn't look so bad. I know, but for, for me, I was eight years old. I mean, those are heroes to and me. You right? were born in 1960, huh? Oh, nice. No, not the worst. Sorry. What's worst, next? Worst at math, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> well, he's making a joke about 60. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now it's time for a little feedback. Because we love to hear from you when you write us at ML Soul of Detroit, or if you post a comment on any of our websites. Uh, here's a comment that was on our Facebook page. We had a post that said, Coleman Young made history in 1973, but his story may not be what you thought you knew. That's a reference to last week's episode about Coleman Young's first race for mayor 1973. A fascinating episode, if I do say so myself. But not because of myself, for once, because we had legendary free press columnist Bill McGraw telling some amazing stories. So please check out last week's episode. Here's what Frank thought about that. He said, that was a good interview. You tried to stay out of it. Sean and Mark ask great questions. What? So, so we're changing the name of the segment to Sean? Listener Dick's Way In. There was John Anderson coming at me hard a couple weeks ago. Now I got Frank. I got Dennis. At least Dennis wrote it on a pound note, as a great new wave artist Adam Ant might have suggested. So uh, we love your feedback. We love your ratings. We love your cheap shots at great Americans. You can send Yourself. them to... I don't, I mean, that's not for me to judge, but I think that uh, I think it's probably fair to say. But uh, you can write to us at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. You can post a comment at uh, ML Elric, the Facebook page where we post stuff, on Twitter at Elric. And we love it when you subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is ML Soul of Detroit. When you subscribe and hit the bell for alerts, you'll always know when we're about to go live, which is something that we often don't know until it happens it's sort of premature elation you might say and mark you have a little feedback this is a really odd feedback i thought i don't know comeback of all comebacks hey guys started to bother you with such trivial things such as real football 
Sheffield Wednesday, the team in one of the most memorable quick scenes from Ted Lasso, pulled off an amazing feat past Thursday, down 4-0 after the first leg. I don't know how many people know how this works, but down 4-0 with the first leg of the English League One playoffs. They came all the way back in the second leg, scoring the tying goal at 90 minutes, while well, eight, the eighth minute of stoppage time, sending the game into extra time 4-4. Uh, they gave up a goal, an own goal scored at... Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I feel like I'm reading a box score, which is and, really, and this is not even Premier League soccer. This no. is the league Championship one. League, right? Yeah, this uh, is. No, I think it's a league below that, right? League One. No, no. Ex- I think Sheffield got relegated last year, didn't they? Oh, I thought it went uh, Premier to Championship to League One and then League Two. I could uh, be wrong. You know, I think you're right be because wrong. isn't uh, isn't uh, Wrexham in League? Two or league, or league four, four or now, something yeah, ridiculous. which is the payoff league. It's, it's, it's such a mess. Yeah, but he's just very pumped because his team pulled off an amazing comeback. Although when I think of Sheffield Wednesday, I think of the Hillsborough disaster. Do you guys know the Hillsborough disaster, nineteen ninety one? No. Was that where people were crushed in the crowd? Yes, it's one of the most. Oh were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's an amazing thirty for thirty. About there was it. a there was a Morrissey sighting, and they all tried to get to the Maz. Or is that not it? Was that's it? not it at all. It was the soccer I think, oh no, I was going to say, who's from Sheffield? Is that? Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, the team? Or no, the no, city? but there's a new wave band from Sheffield, but I can't, I, I, all the ones I'm thinking of, I think are from Birmingham. I think uh, that's like where Duran Duran is from and Echo Or Manchester. Bunnyman. Oh, Manchester. No, that's the. Do we ever play Echo and the Bunnymen? Yeah, we have. We, we have. have, absolutely. We have. 100%. So pick another one. That'd be nice if we played. Do you have any feedback, sir? Uh, no, I think that's it for feedback. You didn't let so Sean have any I'd feedback? Like to, uh, we, we ran out of feedback. I'd like to say, we'd, let's play some Echo in the Bunnyman. <laughs> well, you'll have your chance with you your control. I, yeah, I'll be on sabbatical. So oh, we're going to play. You uh, have the levers of. We're going to play power. some Parliament. That that's fine. Good. We can do We can. Hey, when uh, the boss is away, we can do whatever we want, Sean. That's right. The rats will play. That's so, right. um, I, I have to tell you, I listened to the most recent episode of the Carlos and Sean podcast, and I gotta tell you, a dose of Carlos, man, it gets this guy fired up over there. You start talking about the NBA, and there's an energy that comes out of Sean. Really? That's his, oh, it's it's like a, it's like a brimming force. It's almost like a, it's almost like geothermal, where you, if you dig deep enough and you tap into the Earth's core, you can heat and cool your house using natural forces. It was uh, it was a very robust and engaging episode. I I thought it was pretty hey. good stuff. Robust and engaging, Sean. Thank you. I don't it's remember not, it that way. It's not where you draft; it's who you draft. It's the talent. You the draft. luck isn't in the lottery. The luck is in the draft. That's what it was. That's that what it bullshit. was. Yes, exactly. There's a lot of luck in that lottery too. Well, what about Jokic at 41? No, That's because winning the fucking number one pick doesn't mean squat, historically. Darko? I know. I, I know your re- you've told me your research. But I yeah. still would rather have the number one pick than the number five pick. No, you'd rather get lucky with wherever you pick in the top seven or eight or nine or ten or whatever. Well, why do they? Why, uh, Steph why Curry, anybody? not number one. You know what draft luck is? Finding Nikola Jokic in the second round. Look, I don't want to turn this into Which a Which I mentioned podcast, a minute ago. But that's... Yeah. I'm an expert on the NBA. You said 41, yeah. But that's luck. That's the second round. That's draft luck. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, right. but they, they knew who he was. They, but I believe Troy Weaver would challenge that He was a future two-time luck. MVP. Steph Curry went number seven. That's draft luck. Is uh, Jokic... Not lottery luck. Is he one of the most... Like, not underrated because he's won, what, two MVPs, but is he one of the most unknown stars in all of... American team sports. He's starting to get known maybe no a little bit ever now. ever talks about him. Oh, it's true. He's so fun to watch if you like. If He's 
unbelievable. He's really fun to watch. He's a blast. It's a fun team to watch, actually. Yeah, I'm so glad the Lakers are gone. I don't know if I could stomach that. But, uh, there's a there's a great um, new wave-ish band called uh, Killing Yoke. Ick. Killing oh. Joke. You never heard of Killing Joke? Yeah, I have, yeah. Uh-huh. Killing Yoke. Ick. That was the joke. That was the... Is LeBron going to retire now, Sean? That's where Elmore Leonard would say, not subtle enough. Uh, we're going to... Um... Oh, is that is that going to be the topic on the next Carlos and Sean? No, pod? but we are going to play. Bust. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to play a song from a band I used to see in person in the early '80s right. in Austin. Not a new wave band necessarily, but they're called the Reavers. They were originally called Zeitgeist. Am I supposed to write this down? Or oh, but I'll I'll, okay. I'll, Sorry. I'll bring it up. So, <laughs> see dog, see baby. That's yeah. all you got. See you later. Yeah, I just want to mention that. So we're going to shake things up a little bit. Is my point. Carlos and Sean flexing. Are you listening to a different show in your headphones? No, I mean, not me and Carlos. <laughs> you and me, Mark. Oh. Oh, okay. We're going to sure. shake things up a little bit. Uh, yeah, and, we're, and we will check in with ML. As you mentioned, he's going to Scotland. And boy, what an exciting trip next week, too. I will be on Mackinac Island for the Mackinac Policy Conference. We will miss you. No, we're going to check in with him. Okay, good. Are you going to check in with us? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are, are you going to lug equipment up a hill again? Absolutely not. So you're just going to check in on your phone? Absolutely not, because I, as I recall from last year, I still had a dog shit signal did, and, and yeah. it kept breaking down. So. Are they going to make an exception for you because you drive a Riviera? Do you think they'll let that car on the island? Because it is you and it's that car. I think the car alone is a powerful force. But, but we respect, we respect uh, the yeah. rules of the island, okay. the rules of the road. And I don't want all that horse shit stuck under the fenders. So, so that's it for we'll, this we'll week. We'll miss you. Yeah. The, Speaking uh, of horse shit. What? No. There you go. What are you doing? You so, interrupted the that's looks, it, Mark. You look so dejected. Maybe we all need a little break from each other. <laughs> it's, maybe it's time for a little quiet reflection. No, we didn't mean to interrupt. Mark didn't mean to interrupt. You said, so that's it. So check out Sean's column on Angelo's. Uh, it actually is a, is a very fine piece of writing. We're going to have a link to that on our website. Still open if you want to go get a meal there before they get uh, absorbed into the uh, Shemi Shembleckler uh, uh, parking lot, memorial uh, parking meter uh, stand. And yeah, good one. And Thanks for bringing yeah. Angelo's in today. That was very nice of you, Sean. It's delicious. Did I bring Angelo's in? <laughs> no. I'll bring you some. Wait, is it? Can you unlock? I remember bringing. I remember can, bringing you food from someplace. Where was it? Um, some cheesesteaks. Some very good cheesesteaks. Okay. And okay. Coney's one time too. I, I, oh, on, I did bring you. Oh, on, hey, on you know. Oh, 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 whoa, 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 I'll whoa, bring whoa, you some Angelos. Whoa, whoa, let me what, not. What? What, what happened? Before Where, we go. Oh my god! Head. I can't believe I forgot about this. I've heard from listeners who are concerned about the butchery. Uh, they see brown paper over the windows there, they suffered some flooding in February. And so the butchery is closed right now, but Dave Hubbard is still doing catering, supporting his family with his talent as a chef. And uh, You can look, hire him to be a personal chef too if you got like a birthday or an anniversary or something romantic. Yeah, absolutely. He'll do special events. If you're trying to reach Chef Dave, send an email to us at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. We will connect you. He hopes to have the store open soon. Mm dealing with some insurance issues, but the butchery still serving the public. Send us an email, mlsolvedetroit at gmail.com. We will connect you with Chef Dave, and we hope they are up and running again soon. Great business, great family, great people. So uh, we wish them only the best. And if you can help them out, you know, this is a community, and when we can help each other, it's a better community. 
So they may open just in time to take uh, take over for Angelos, but hopefully, hopefully it won't be that long. So until next week, we turn to our friend Cyrus and we say, Cyrus, would you please play us out like Andy Can you Roy. dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? All the fun, all the fury of the book come alive. M.L. Elric. In the greatest role of his career. Don't you try to pull that on me? The marching and chowder club from the Thoid Waters outside ready to go. Should we start the victory parade? Never before, a podcast so perceptibly directed, so lavishly and powerfully presented, so perfectly cast. The Soul of Detroit.